0: Hi everyone. Welcome to the Transform TV Podcast Series. Today I'm joined by Trevor Miles, who is thought leader at Blue Crux. Uh Trevor, thank you so much for joining us here and thank you, uh, for being part of this podcast. My pleasure. Thank you. So why don't why don't we start with you telling us a little bit about yourself and the, your journey so
1: far. Oh, Maria, I fell into supply chain by luck in the mid 1990s. I was working as a management consultant and one of the people who worked with, for me, I joined a little startup in Dallas that was called i2 Technologies. Of course, we all know that they had big boom and busts. I was with them for 16 years and most certainly dug deep into the uh, supply chain and software, of course, and I've stayed in that space Then moved to Canaxis for 10 years and briefly at SAP at Salonis and now with Blue Crooks. So I've seen the big companies, the small companies, the growing companies, the originating companies, but I've seen supply chain planning very much develop as a practice in that period of time.
0: I love how you say how you fell into supply chain. Uh, and uh, yes, that little startup—I think I've heard of them before. <laughs> yeah. So, 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 why don't we get what started with? I guess just just asking you questions directly about uh, what you've seen recently. So, um, you know, obviously, there things must have changed dramatically since you fell into supply chain. Uh, how has the industry changed since then?
1: the principal thing is the speed of change or the speed of business that is very much uh, different from what it was then and even then we thought we were speeding things up incredibly and we were because you know uh, apex was divine a, a, a devised in the 1960s with organizational structures reporting roles uh, responsibilities all of this sort of stuff very few People even had a mainframe, let alone a personal computer. And of course, in the 1990s, when I joined A2, there was a big uh, improvement in computing power, Uh, but AI ML was a laboratory experiment at best, uh, hidden in some closet in a university. But today we've got, first of all, customers becoming used to online shopping and that consumer experience and expecting that to be very much part of their B2B experience and on the other side, we've got the great uh, speed up of computing power, the ad- advent of AI, ML, etc. So those have all really brought uh, to the forefront these capabilities. But the org- the supply chain as a practice has been very slow to adopt or to adapt to that. Okay,
0: it's it's interesting that you say that because you're right. The pace of change is I mean it's it's just is unheard of really uh, if you yes. think about it. Um, And and I think now we're talking about that. Well, there has been change. Obviously, there has Mm, been change. There's been there have been issues uh, before we've been we've been here before with tsunamis and Mm. financial crises and disruptions. Disruption isn't new, but this covid thing is 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 big. It's 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 this black swan event tells us a lot about the way that supply chain leaders plan and optimize their supply chains and et cetera. What have been your observations on how companies typically deal with disruptions and uncertainty?
1: Yes, well, as you say, these black swans are, if you like, the tip of the iceberg is the way I like to look at it. Uh, They're obvious, they're apparent, and everybody pays attention to them. But it's really what's going on underneath the water that really matters, and that's day-to-day disruptions. But what those events teach us is, you know, nearly all of the time, the first response is to centralize data, so that Mm -hmm. everybody's working off the same piece of information. And then they centralize the people, they put everybody together so that you can uh, shorten the communication channels. Well, what does that mean? They want to know sooner and they want to be able to act faster. Yeah, that's what it's all about. But the whole org structure that we have is a very cascaded process. You know, to me, I still shake my head when I see the Tom Wallace five-stage SNOP with the first stage being gather data, then develop the forecast, and then develop a, a supply plan and then work out how it all fits together and then get the executive team together. And, you know, months have gone by and you still haven't reached a conclusion. So this is what I mean. That's uh, that pace of business just is not sustainable. So it's the, the black swans must certainly show us the way forward in terms of how we can structure the way in which we make decisions. What's disappointing is that almost always, the moment those uh, events pass, we go back to the old ways because that's what we're used to. we the old uh, riding school pony walking back home, right? It's comfortable, it's it's not challenging.
0: Yeah, but the difference probably is that to some degree there was an end, right? So there was an end to the, uh, the, the economic recession. There was an end to, there was a moment where sort of things went back to normal. I don't know if we're even gonna go back to normal for some time. We're still in this sort of no man's land at the moment of we're not post COVID, we're still, we're not in the middle of COVID, we're sort of in this, right? In in this altered state, right? Uh,
1: That is true, Uh, you know, uh, though within the supply chain, you know, I I would say that's a a business problem, okay? So will we be able to sell the, the products we have? Will the customers buy in the manner in which they used to? it's less of a supply chain problem other than the fact that, yes, maybe we shouldn't be um, offshoring as much as we did because of the distance for no other reason. Mm -hmm. And maybe the truck drivers, you know, our shipping company won't have as many truck drivers because they've had an infestation of COVID. But this is all about asset management in one way or another and the real thing with all of this asset management is it is day-to-day activity within the supply chain but the, it's because it's always so small in terms of the the scale tend to paper over okay carry too much inventory um spend too much to expedite but when it's at this scale you cannot carry the right amount of inventory you yeah. cannot uh, store that amount of material anywhere. So that's why it proves to us what the, the shortcomings are of what we do on a day-to-day basis. But I, I am absolutely convinced that what we do on a day-to-day basis in the normal is not as efficient as we think it is. And it's not as nearly as effective as it is. And this is really the story that I think uh, black swans such as uh, COVID-19 teach us. It is a different way it of doing
0: exposes, it. Do you think it exposes yes, sort of the exactly. cracks and the, and the issues?
1: Yes, it's, it's the old story of, you know, if you're going down a canal with a high water level, you just go straight, okay? Mm-hmm. And then if you lower that water level, you've got to navigate around the rocks. And mm-hmm. it's essentially, you know, that's essentially what COVID has done to us. And you're right, it is much more extended than uh, most of the more recent events have been and uh, or it's it's global whereas you know tsunami in japan was very much localized to japan and of course everybody who outsourced into japan had a problem but it wasn't localized everywhere else so the COVID is scale wise definitely more serious and time scale wise definitely more serious but that's just exposing more of the cracks
0: and so do you think that that um, supply chain leaders are probably trying to implement maybe old tactics that were used previously in other types of uh, uh, disasters or disruptions and not really getting to the heart of working in a new way, you know, in a, in a different type of way for this new normal?
1: Well, I don't think that's actually the problem, Maria, because as I said in my uh, intro, the way they do it is by forming these war rooms. And the first thing they do is centralize the data and centralize right. the people in order to make sure that everybody's working off the same data. Because guess what? you know, In a normal supply chain with the average company having three to four ERP systems, um, they have data scattered all over the, the place. And even then, they use different KPIs or different ways to calculate the KPIs for the same thing they're trying to measure, such as inventory. So, you've got all of this stuff scattered around, so they can't come to a decision because they're each talking about their different numbers. So, this forces that together and forces people into close proximity. So, now, you know, when you're sitting across the table from somebody and somebody says, if you do that, this will be the consequence to me, it's far more difficult to make the decision than if you're in isolated uh, corners of the room or, or the organization. And you don't even know who that is. Now, of course,
0: so, go on. So what I was going to say is, so outside of a disruptive event, like or a black swan of event, we're operating in silos. We're operating with, yes. you know, disparate sources of data, disparate systems, KPIs, functions, yes. etc. Exactly. So are you are you suggesting that in order to knock down those silos, we must continue to work in this war room
1: environment? Yes so it is definitely people processing technology and we've spoken very little of technology at this moment mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, you know we got ourselves into the situation because of uh, people and organizational structures because the old structure was to have a hierarchy and divide everybody up and all of this and then of course you've got a buying power that's mm-hmm. for a particular function that's been described by apex and of course all of the product managers on the software side So, who's the buyer and we must satisfy the needs of that buyer so the functionality is nicely structured just around the needs of that buyer ignoring everybody else mm-hmm. but my story about you're sitting across the table and understanding the harm that you're causing somebody else now if you break the silos you're causing harm to yourself so if you're going to emphasize overall equipment effectiveness or your capacity utilization at the expense of customer service, and you're responsible now for both those metrics, you're going to do the right business balance. But if you're responsible for only one of those metrics, overall equipment effectiveness, if your bonus is based upon your utilization of capacity, you're going to make sure that your capacity is utilized, even if that means customer service takes a hit but you're not measured upon that. So this is the types of things that we need to start from is that people in process to understand that really, it's about a balanced decision is really what you're trying to achieve. You cannot ever achieve a perfect decision, but if you can balance these metrics against each other, that's what you should be trying to achieve and understanding how you can flex them.
0: So how do you do that? How do you do that practically?
1: practically, it comes back to the war room and the equivalent of the war room. So you need technology that, first of all, can give you that end-to-end perspective. Modern term for that is digital twin. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you go off and you analyze how you're actually operating. And this is a a key difference between, let's say, a control tower and a digital twin for, uh, you know, use modern terms. A control tower usually goes to master data to say this is how we designed the system. Whereas a digital twin, how you actually operate in all of the transactional data and says, this is how you're operating. So it's Mm -hmm. got the feeds and speeds and flows and all of that, how you're actually operating. So now once you've got that, you have true measures of your metrics, but you do then need analytics on top of that to say what would happen if, because now that's the key thing about uh, the tsunami or any black swan, you know, once you get that signal that comes in that says it's changed, the first thing you need to do is say, well, what's the impact? Because if the impact isn't very big, then okay, it's less of an issue. Even if the the measurement, even if that signal is a huge spike, but, you know, the easiest thing to think about that is I'm buying one item that represents 1% of my purchase spend but it is only going into 2% of my finished product. I have another item that represents 0.1% of my purchase spend, but it's going into 90% of my finished products. And the lead times of both of these are going up. Which one am I going to worry about? If you only have a sign, you're only going to worry about the one that costs you most. Mm -hmm. But if you've got an end-to-end view, you should be looking at that very cheap item that goes into 90% of your finished products, because it has a potential of having a huge impact on your business. So that's the first thing the digital twin can do. But now the question is, what do you do about it? You know, now you do the what-if yeah. analysis because you know there's cause, consequence, and 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 uh, what you do about it. And this is where AI and ML and all of these things are beginning to prove themselves. It doesn't mean that a lot of the old uh, stuff we were doing, rough cut capacity planning, uh, master production scheduling is going to go away. But we can't, those are very slow, laborious uh, decision cycles. We need to be approximately right rather than precisely wrong. So especially these, at the
0: pace of change. Uh, like exactly.
1: About. Yes. You so know. it's the dif- difference between preci- precision and accuracy. I don't necessarily want to be precise, but I want to be accurate, because <laughs> you know I can be precisely wrong. Yeah, <laughs>
0: that's correct. Okay. Um, okay, well let's talk about you talk about end-to-end visibility. It's the holy grail. It's what everybody wants. Yes. You know, so who who seems to be doing it? If you can share that, well, in your opinion, at the moment,
1: as customers, uh, you're referring to uh, specifically. Yeah. I do see a lot of the pharmaceutical companies go in there quite quickly, because of the mandate of traceability.
0: Right. So yeah. they,
1: you know, it's they have no choice. They, they, they have no choice. Okay. Uh, CPGs get in there pretty soon after them because structurally they they're fairly similar, etc. But they've got much lower margins, and as a consequence, there's a business imperative for them to get there quickly. And let's face it, if you look at something like the Gartner, uh Top 25, it's actually the CPG companies that dominate the, the top of the pyramid. Uh, and that is partially because they have such a rapid change in their uh, portfolio. Their margins are fairly small and they've got quite extended supply chain. So they've got to be good at their supply chain. Whereas also uh, consumer
0: know, demand is, is, is asking them for, for change. Exactly. You
1: know? Yes, that's what I'm, I'm getting at. And, you know, even th- this now is where COVID has really made a huge difference because, of course, everybody's doing online shopping. Now, you know, the way things are packaged up and all of this type of stuff has had to be radically restructured in a very short period of time. The number of distribution points they need to go to is very different from what they did before. Uh, In fact, it's been reduced because it's going to reduce the distribution centers for the online retailers. Uh, But nevertheless, the volumes have gone up tremendously for those, and the packaging has changed. So even if the formulation of the product isn't different, the way it's presented to the end customer is quite different, and that then, of course, requires a different supply chain. And this has been, as you said, been changing tremendously quickly in this period, and they've had to get good at it.
0: And so what's the challenge in, in that? I mean it seems to me as we talked about end-to-end supply chain visibility is something everyone wants. It's yes. consumers are demanding it. Uh, what's the challenge? Is it the silos? Is it the overabundance of data? Is it the you know, I, I don't know, d- digital transformation is expensive, it's a pain. What, what it's a combination.
1: Issues? It's a combination of all of that, but it starts with legacy. You know, there is no uh, nice green field or blue blue ocean or anything else like that left out there. No. As I mentioned before, uh, the average company research analysts say this have three to four ERP systems largely because of acquisition, largely because they thought they were operating completely separate businesses, only to find that they have strong similarities in all of this. So they've got this island, these islands of information. But even those planning systems, you know, I can think of one CPG company that has Edu open they have Canaxis, they have OMP, they have SAP. Uh, so, you know, all of these planning solutions now giving given them different Uh, answers and all of this type of stuff. So, the first thing is to start with all of that data and bring it up to give a a harmonized representation of the supply chain. That is not an easy job. This is already where AI and ML really kicks in with Mm -hmm. fuzzy matching and all of this, you know. I call it an apple, you call it an orange, but I sold it to you on the same day and the same quantity and it went from my place to your place. So it must be an apple must be an orange. You know, when, but it takes a lot of processing to get to that. Um, and you then have to be very, uh, um, well, You, I, I'm searching for the term. You've got to become very confident in how those solutions are presenting the results to you. That, And again, I want to go back to the accurate enough rather than being, uh completely wrong to start with, but also that you do, you're not going to wait for the 99th percentile, because that takes you too long because things are changing anyway under your feet, okay? So, personally, loop is still gonna be important in all of that, but that's just to stitch it all together. And by the way, you know, even in supply chains, you know, as long ago as uh, the mid uh, 2010s, I was working with Cisco, where there was a four key distributors five customers Cisco themselves four contract manufacturers and something like 100 suppliers that was flowing into a single system of connectus rapid response right so you can already see that connectivity yeah. but the difference between that and a digital twin is this wasn't automated somebody had to go and do all of those connections by hand Uh, the digital twin sits there and looks at how materials flow in and stitches it all together. First of all, it's more accurate. Secondarily, it's dynamic. Thirdly, you can analyze how all sorts of variables like supply lead time, supplier cost, supplier quality, or even process quality is changing in that period of time. That's the advantage of the digital twin. And then on top of that, you add the fancy analytics to say, what if I did this? What if I did that?
0: How feasible is it to implement digital twin in today's com- complex supply chains?
1: It's becoming easier and easier. You know, really? uh, I can tell you that we can do a pilot in less than 12 weeks. And by pilot, I mean something, uh, sizable and that's just to know how, where the data is what it actually looks like, you know, get all of the edge cases, but once that has been put into place, it becomes an automated process. Now, this Maria is actually something I'm still wrapping my head around because I come from the environment where um, you had some software and it was highly structured and somebody would buy to do a particular job. People would go there and they would configure it to do that specific job. And you could test, you know, this is my input, that's my output. And there were all of these tests that were made to make sure you got the right result. AI and ML has to learn. So you're not setting it in and you know that it's working because it's learning as it's going, you know, let's just take supplier lead time. Uh, You've got your history. Um, What's interesting is if that supplier lead time is changing and by changing, I mean, not just the average, I mean the variability too, but you're only going to learn that by getting more history in, which is what the AI and ML is doing. And it's now saying, okay, your supply chain lead time is changing, okay? So it is that a fact that once it's installed, you still have this period of learning before full functionality can be delivered. So this is something that I think I'm getting my head around too.
0: Well, if you're getting your head around it, I mean, what's the challenge? Why aren't many more supply chain leaders doing this? I mean, do do you think that they see AI and ML as a really nice thing to have down the line because, it's it might be too expensive, or it might be too hard to implement, or it's beyond their grasp. Uh, it's, it's it's almost as though it's sort of like a really cool thing, futuristic thing. How practical is it?
1: The best practical examples are the ones that do the dirty stuff that was very difficult for people to do before. Yes, and let's just start with that data matching. You know, uh, I don't know anybody who's written risen to a senior role in IT who was in charge of master data management. I see most people, you know, the moment they get given it, they're trying to look for the next job, and it's just Nobody wants to do that. Nobody wants to do that, okay? But uh, I think a lot of what I've been talking about is about having that right data on which to make the decisions. Otherwise, if you feed the wrong information to an algorithm, it doesn't matter how good that algorithm is, you're still gonna get bad results. Yeah. So it's about being able to do that matching and the, the, the uh, master data management automatically. Now, I want to be careful when I say master data management, because, you know, one of the difficulties with an ERP system is it is tightly integrated. So let's take supplier lead time or supplier cost. Those things are tied to a contract. And finance has to use that. And supply chain has to use that. And purchasing has to use that. So supply chain can't just come along and say, hey, we've been analyzing the supplier's lead time and supplier's cost. And what we've got in master data is incorrect because now all of a sudden, uh, all of these other systems or processes are going to be working with the wrong data, okay? So I want to be careful what I say when master data, but I'm talking about the planning or the supply chain master data when I'm referring to that. So I'm actually advocating that all of the planning tools and decision tools that fit around supply chain don't actually go into the master data, but rather have a system such as LOP that sits over there, analyzes all the right information, feeds that to the planning system, because then they're working with the correct uh, values. By the way, when I say correct, I mean also those that change dynamically. You can see what the time scale uh you what's happening to that variable over time whereas in an erp system you have one value okay you can have data factivity and all of this but the point is somebody has to think about it go into the system make changes and that's just never going to happen let
0: me take it back for just a second in terms of how how important is i mean you said it at the beginning we need to know things quicker right Mm -hmm. and and we need to make decisions quicker right so how important is this type of technology for or how business critical is it for the businesses of the future or maybe not the future the now
1: maria i'm fortunate enough or unfortunate enough to be old enough to remember when uh, excel skill was a requirement <laughs> on, a, on a resume
0: yeah
1: okay who would even think of hiring somebody today into supply chain that had no excel or you know, basic uh, basic skills. So quite honestly, I think we're at that time now where basic data analytics skills are just going to become the norm. Um, Yes, I know we've got no code, low code and all of these things that are making things easier. But I just think that uh, what I see anyway is that the, the people who are beginning to go very quickly up the ladder are the ones who have Python skills. Mm-hmm. They they might and they might not be programmers, but they have enough Python skills to go and grab that data and do some analysis quickly, rather than thinking what's the analysis that I want to do, write a down a a requirements document, hand it over to an IT IT department to get a result back three weeks to a month later, only for them to look at it and say no, that's what we want, you know, we need this. And that, then you start the whole cycle. That is just too slow. This analysis has to be very rapid and people have to have those skills. So I can only equate it uh, again to Excel 20, 30 years ago. Okay. That's,
0: that's at the practitioner level. So, you know, that's, that's at the yes. sort of supply chain operator. I'm talking about more of a corporate level, right? So as an organization, how business critical is it going to be to know things sooner and act oh. faster?
1: Absolutely. Uh, that's absolutely a critical capability. And, you know, it's not just supply chain. It's, it's all of these areas. And how I see it is, quite honestly, I'm being a bit nerdy now, but going back to control systems. Okay. And, uh, you know, if I use Apex for a while, you know, there's the, the strategic, the tactical, the operational mm-hmm. execution, all of those layers. Those layers are beginning to collapse, okay? Yeah. And and how they collapse in is strictly speaking that the executional layer is informing the higher level that something has changed that's important. So let's take SNOP. Uh, again, I'm old enough to remember when people would be running SNOP quarterly. Nobody would even think of running SNOP quarterly today, right? They run in it monthly. But why monthly? What is the purpose? Okay, we need to get together. We need to agree. But what is it that we need to work on? Well, that has come from the fact that we are looking at execution and understanding this was our plan. This is how our achievement, this is the gap. And having that be dynamic. If we run in all nice and smoothly, that's great. Why even have a meeting? Why not just keep the meeting mm. five minutes? Everything has been agreed. But if we are veering off course, why are we going to wait another three, four weeks before we have another meeting?
0: Challenge the assumptions. So let's challenge the assumptions.
1: Yes, about how people process, uh, you know, the way we've been doing these things. So make these longer term decisions as needed. But it's based upon the fact that you have a constant feed of what's going on and how are we doing against our goals. Well, Where you, we you hit the
0: nail on the head if you've got a constant feed of good information that is accurate precise uh that is informing you you can make decisions you can act faster so yes the competitive advantage of something like this could be quite significant in today's fast-paced world right
1: oh absolutely i mean it's you know we've said time is money for eons now so it feels like okay mm. uh, and of course in each stage, you know, I don't want to denigrate what we've done in each of these stages because it has always been incremental of from course. what we we did before. Um, so, but you know, it we we've got to embrace these new capabilities as they get presented to us, and this is one of those steps now where there is a change from using old arithmetic is what I'm going to call it, you know, MRP was simple and old arithmetic, you know, got this amount and I got that amount and I've got this time bucket. But now we used, we have to have much more smart uh, algorithms based upon probability rather than simple arithmetic. Okay, that's the big, big difference that's coming up.
0: Well, I'm, I'm going to leave it at that because I know that you're going to be speaking with us at the Transform Live event that's taking place in March. You're actually going to be running a workshop with Christophe Frere, who's the VP of LOP.ai, covering uh, whether resilient supply chains require a digital supply chain twin to move towards a uh, known variability. So I, I think, it, you know, I, I love how you said you, you want to get a little geeked out or nerded out about this technology, but it is exciting it's uh it's going to be driving competitive advantage uh yes. in a way that is just in at a pace that is uh tremendous isn't it so
1: it is um, absolutely
0: trevor i want to thank you for being part of this and we are very much looking forward to your session uh, at transform live thanks so much thank for you. being part of the transform tv podcast
1: thank you maria thank you
0: and for those of us watch those of you watching we'll see you at the next one thank you